You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Hi, friends. Sarah here with a brief disclaimer. You are listening to a podcast about making space for other people as well as for yourself, which may mean that you're going to hear language and ideas and thoughts, not just about life, but about faith that are different than your own. My hope is that you will listen to this podcast with an attitude of space making, being able to hear things that are different from what you may interpret the world to be. It also may be different than how the hosts feel about the world. But again, we are working together to make a little bit more space for each other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making space, both literally and figuratively for people and for yourself. I'm one of the hosts, Sarah. And I'm the other host, Josie. Um, Josie, how the hell are you? How you doing? I just took my dog for a walk, so that's good. Making mm. positive choices. I like it. Yeah, I did my, I finished my first homework assignment for grad school 12 Ooh. hours before it was due. Wow. Really making moves over here. That makes me nervous, but you know what? You're going to do it. You're going to do it your way. What? Um, that's a long time. It was due at midnight and I finished it at noon. Yeah, actually that is good. I mean, I had started it. I just finished it. <laughs> yeah. I think I am one of those people like likes to get my stuff done really early but I don't I remember when I was in school that wasn't always I couldn't and so I always stressed out like the last the last two hours of work was always my best Mm, you know mm -hmm. yep I know (laughs) um I do have some updates for you you got wood flooring today (gasps) yay it's lighter than I thought I would have chosen I think I can't tell if that's it or if that's like oh, the cover they have like for the it. gray linoleum like the no new gray no white. no no more like the like light brown mm. yeah friends i'm moving in next to sarah so she's just just creeping on the construction i was just gonna say I you can 100 be honest and say i've been creepy also my other neighbor just put in a hot tub we were right our guest was right joe's mm-hmm. so hot tub hot summer I'm hot thinking tub. about hot tub it's uh i it's, think we're gonna get an inflatable one I think it's going to be great. And I'm excited for you guys to have the space. It's such a cool space, Um, especially because you guys both have lovely plants and all that kind of stuff and just have some space. Although you have a dog that's not going to really love the big backyard. Yeah, she's I think she lives so long on the street. She's like, I'll stick to the inside. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. (laughs) I'm good. Yeah, she's funny. That's cute. How are you, Sarah? How the heck are you? Great question. I'm exhausted. (laughs) <laughs> I, I was, uh, it's been great. The last 48 hours, uh, Wednesday was a crazy day. Uh, Josie was getting texts for me. I was working on my sermon when I heard a really loud noise next door and there was like a raid and I still haven't looked up online to see what happened, but there's just drug a lot bus, drug of, bus. of some sort, but it sounded like gunshots, but it might've just been glass breaking. It was just a very, and it had my like Whole body kind of like reacting um well there's I, like full masks out there oh yeah like uh yeah there was riot cops gear. in total riot gear um SWAT team members Scary. and they like they rammed in the front door I didn't tell you that but I drove by the other way around um because mm-hmm. I had to you know sometimes it doesn't matter but you can't there's a 
we have a one-way street in front of our church, which is like the worst thing. And I, I swear to you, when we in-person worship, people will miss that turn and just be like, forget it. Because yep. it's like, you will never be able to get back to that church. Yep. If you so sometimes traffic gets really bad there. And so I had to go by the front and I like looked and there was all these firemen, um, like patching up the front door. They had rammed it in with a battery ram. But the interesting okay. thing was as they were questioning folks, they were still wearing full masks. So I've got to think they're undercover. Yeah, that's weird. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, friends, I'm very judgmental because this place is like you can see our church and our churches looks like a church, like a like a like an old church. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little judgmental. I'm like, you did that in front of the Lord's place. Like you did that next to the, a church. You couldn't like go a few blocks down. I don't know. Maybe well, it wasn't. It's a dispensary is what they were in. Um, That's what they were going into. But it was interesting. I in this day and age, I will admit to watching to make sure that the people suspects were treated kindly and fairly. Yeah, well, of course. And I have to say that they were, are you know, from what I saw, I couldn't yeah. hear what they were saying. I couldn't know it, but it, I just needed to see that people were, and they were, they were sat down nicely. Um, some of them were brought water. Good. So it felt I'm sure like, the police know that people are watching nowadays. I actually know? think that some people were watching with the intent of saying, hey, we're watching. Yep. Good. Um, which felt like a good. So it was scary. But I, then I drove to see my friend <laughs> Mike and Ginny Mike from the Crazy Robot Show. Cozy. Cozy Robot Show. One of my dearest friends. And so haven't really seen them over this last year and a half. And it was just wonderful. But we stayed up till two in the morning. Mm -mm. And I we didn't even... We didn't drink. It's not like we were like partying. We literally stayed up till two drinking water and talking, just talking because we haven't been around each other. And so, and then our other friends showed up. Um, all of us are vaccinated, which is fun. And just to be able to be around people was great. And then I drove up to Paso Robles to meet up with um, Dr. Uh, Robin uh, Henderson Espinoza. And they're going to be on our show, which is going to be great. Um, they are a theologian and maybe one of the kindest people I, you know, I've always been intimidated because they are so intelligent, but maybe one of the most just kindest people, um, and very funny, um, and really self-aware, um, is on the autistic spectrum and knows it. <laughs> so we'll be like, I think I'm having an autistic, uh, translation issue here. Uh, and mm -hmm. we'll ask a question about something going on and their partner, Aaron, who is wonderful, um, is very good at being like, Oh no, honey, this is what's happening. <laughs> so it's been really good, but I drove four hours to come back to this. All that to say, I'm exhausted, but I am also really, really inspired. Um, everyone who talks to me in the next couple of weeks is going to have to hear about it. But I uh, finally got to listening to the Matthew McConaughey book, Greenlight. And it is, <laughs> it is the best thing I have. I've heard good things. It is. I think I've always respected the choices that he's made. I mean, obviously he did romantic comedies or whatever, but this person is the way he has lived his life is incredible. And he's so self-reflective and honest about how he hasn't always been, you know, it's, it's not a, a celebration of, hey, I was a real cat and I got away with it. You know, it was more like hearing the behind the stories. Cause I remember like when he did the whole naked bongo thing, um, <laughs> I was just like, here he is. And he like, he knew he was a trope, right? Everyone knew him as the shirtless guy on the beach. And he was like, but he's so, so intelligent. And 
he comes from a really abusive home and he talks honestly about how he doesn't think it's abusive and he knows like people don't understand Texans. Um, you know, but he's also traveled the world. And when I say traveled the world, I mean, he goes to places and doesn't use his name. Like he, he is a traveler, not a, um, tourist. And it's just, uh, hearing his stories is anyway, super inspired as I look into the next season of my life. Um, I wrote so many quotes down just cause I feel like, ah, uh, this was helpful. So if you guys get a chance, check out green light by Matthew McConaughey. I will tell you, get through the first couple of chapters. If you experienced abuse as a child, I wouldn't recommend, uh, listening to the first couple of chapters. Cause it is about his pretty, he calls it outlaw logic is how he grew up in Texas, getting his ass whooped and his mom and dad yeah. physically fought a lot. Also his mom and dad were married three times to each other. Yeah, that's hilarious. I heard a lot of his interviews leading up to it, and I made the assessment that I think we're too similar, not like in a in a philosophical way for me to probably engage with the book, because I mean, you know, growing up in a Mexican household is very similar to that Texas outlaw when it comes to you know hitting your the kid or whatever. Child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, and he he does a great job of saying like, look, I don't. This isn't how I raise my children. It worked um, for him right. and it worked for, I mean, it quote unquote, some of us worked through it. But. Yeah. I will say too, he has done, he has done incredible things to do introspection and know who he mm -hmm. wants to be and what energy he wants to bring into the world. And he absolutely is respectful of his family, even as he says, uh, this was, this was hard. Um, mm -hmm. he loves his daddy and his dad passed away when he was when he was actually shooting his first movie. Mm. Um, and it is, anyway, it's just a really good book. I think for me, having lived in the South uh, for 14 years, but also not ever feeling like I fit in anywhere, um, it was a great book for me to feel like, oh, um, this is, a, I feel akin to his spirit. And then I found out in the book, I didn't realize, I didn't know this part of his story. He lived in an Airstream for three years, mm. um, which is really cool. So that was neat. Anyway, all that to say, that's that today on the Making Spaces podcast. I am really excited. I might be tired, but I am excited to introduce you to two people, uh, Crystal Steckel and John Keeling. They are, I would say, two of my best friends. Um, and they are also just really inspiring people. Um, mm -hmm. And it was really fun to talk to them about. So both of them entered into their current profession later on in life. Um, and I love it because as Josie starts grad school, kind of this idea that we kind of just are always evolving and changing and what are the things that root us and hold us? Um, I left that conversation really inspired too. There's been a lot of inspiration this week. What are your thoughts on the conversation before we hop into listening to it? Uh, I think this is a good episode for those of you who fear change. I am not one of those people. I love change. But if you do fear change, fear, did I say that right? Fear yeah, change? you said it right. I can't even think. Um, I too am tired. I think it's a good episode for you to kind of sit down, listen, assess, and realize change ain't so bad. It can be good. <laughs> I actually think it's good too for people who aren't afraid of change and just to hear this like, oh yeah, there are other people in the world who have that same like, because John and Crystal are not fear averse and you are not fear averse and I am very, or sorry, change averse. I am very change averse. Mm -hmm. So it is a uh, it's a fun thing to hear through how different people process it and what they hold on to in the midst. So, yeah. Also great to hear from people, especially Crystal, who has been in the midst of this pandemic. 
Yeah. She, Listen up. Get vaccinated. Yeah. I don't care what the CDC says. Wear your freaking mask, okay? You guys are nasty. So wear your mask. You have germs. Okay. Well, I don't think <laughs> I think you can follow the CDC guidelines, um, especially outside, guys. It's time for us to see each other's faces. Um, well, if you're vaccinated, hang out with your vaccinated friends. Yes. Yes. All right, friends. Enjoy this conversation and thanks again for listening. Um, so I was trying to scramble, like, so the other thing is, is like the immigrant and refugee stuff, like there was always, um, money issues, right. We're always like petitioning for money and whatever. And the day after my husband left me, I found out that my job was getting cut in half. Um, and so like I was going half time now trying to survive on my own, like, so I think I just was in like a scrambling sort of position and um, discovered like the option of nursing school, that there was a bachelor's program that I could do in 15 months to get my um, my uh, bachelor's of nursing. And I had to apply like the very next day or something, like it was crazy. Um, and so I did, I just like jumped right in, just all in, applied. Um, had to start taking my prereqs like right away the next week um, and actually did not even get into the courses because they were already full. Uh, one of my friends who was a nurse, he was like, just show up to class. They'll let you in eventually. <laughs> so uh. I just started showing up and showing up and showing up and finally like four weeks in or whatever, the professor was like, okay, I put you on it. I put you on our, our, our um, like agenda or whatever. I don't know what it's called. friends, welcome to another episode of the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making space both literally and figuratively for yourself and others. I'm one of the hosts, Sarah, and this is the other co-host, Josie. Today, we have um, two healthcare professionals. I'm going to use the word professionals. Um, I'm excited to introduce to you uh, two. Uh, one is a nurse. One is a CNA on the way to becoming a nurse uh, during the time of COVID, but they're also people who happen to be two of my best friends. And so um, it has been really cool to watch them make space. And we're going to talk a little bit about how they ended up in this industry. You know, they weren't the went straight from college into the dream job folks. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to make space for our dreams. I'll say a little later in life. Is that a good way of saying it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this is John Keeling and Crystal Steckel. And I am going to open up by asking Crystal first, because once you get John going, it's hard to wrangle him back in. Where is one of your favorite spaces and why? One of my favorite spaces. This is going to be kind of an odd one. Well, at first I was going to say Gidget. <laughs> That's <laughs> my Airstream. <laughs> but it's not quite my favorite space just yet. I was going to say, because you be. couldn't answer the why part. <laughs> it will be. Um, <laughs> no. uh, I would say uh, it trails. I know that it's sounds weird. weird. That's not like an indoor space, but it's, um, yeah, it's my space. Uh, and why? It's because, I don't know, I didn't grow up like an outdoorsy person. I didn't really discover the outdoors until I was well into adulthood. Um, and I just feel like trails, like running and hiking and 
all the things that you can do on trails is like feels like freedom and feels like um connection to god and feels like connection to myself um so yeah it's just a place for me to connect and um to feel freedom freedom is like a real important thing for me like i need i need space <laughs> and so the outdoors there's plenty of it so i think that's why that's interesting especially like uh josie also grew up in a latino family and the experience of like she loves the outdoors, but I love her uh, statement of like, I want it to be like, I'm going to a destination, like, you know, less the journey, more the, what are we doing here in this space? So it's fun to hear right. people who discover even the outdoors later on. Well, yeah. I always say that brown people do outdoors in a general way. We don't backpack. We don't climb mountains. We don't want to <laughs> go on the top of Everest. Just, <laughs> you know, the, the baseline. <laughs> well crystal stepped out of that one she's one of these crazy climbers and all that sort of stuff so she she took it in the opposite direction <laughs> all right so john Marie. what is one of your favorite spaces and why and by the way the outdoors one isn't that weird if you listen back to a bunch of episodes a lot of people say things outside of like a a space nice well then fine i'm not gonna say the outdoors even though i like them they're real nice <laughs> What's your favorite uh, space? One of your, it doesn't have to be your favorite, just one of. One of them. Like the one that stands out is Musée d'Orsay in Paris. When I lived there, that was, that was <laughs> my spot. I'm not um, laughing. I'm like, wow, that was unexpected. It's bougie, whatever. I'm, I'm bougie. <laughs> I'm very bougie. Now, uh, I don't know if you know John, but he is fancy. <laughs> fancy, <laughs> fancy man. Part of the story fancy is fancy. that John lived in Paris when he was playing professional basketball. And so um, for those who are not watching this on YouTube, John is, um, he's a big man. He's six, nine. Not that people on YouTube could even see how tall I am. It doesn't. No, you're seated tall. as well. Yeah. Maybe the size of your hands, like a puppy, they could figure out your size. <laughs> um, so John, why that area? Um, why so fancy? Why that museum? Uh, that museum it was a very tranquil, calm place in a very chaotic city. That was awesome, chaotic. It was amazing. I love soaking it in. Um, there was something about the way the light entered it. It was quiet. There was an energy about it though. And then impressionist art. So, and it's yeah. an old train station. So it's just a beautiful building. The architecture, everything's beautiful about it. And I used to go there once a week and just hang out. I love that. I love that image of um, someone who's so engaged in the noise of even being in a stadium, right? Um, and then in a really busy city. And the place that you found peace and tranquility was filled with beautiful art, um, which is cool. It's a yeah. cool um, realization how important the arts are, friends. Where I saw my first Van Gogh and it blew my mind. I have Van Gogh on my shirt. Right there. What? I wondered why you were kind of pointing at your chest. And I was like, oh, yeah. where is this going to go? <laughs> I just think your microphone, though. There he is. Hmm. Um, so the, one of the reasons, there's a kind of two things that I, as I was thinking about why it would be so cool um, to speak to you guys. And one of them was, this has been an incredible year and a half, almost two of, you know, this, uh, you know, we call health workers heroes and all this sort of stuff. And both of you um, are kind of on the beginning end of this career in healthcare. And I have been overwhelmed with 
even though you guys have gone through one of the hardest seasons of, of doing this job, you still love it. And so um, I find that so inspiring that you made space for something. So I'd love to start with what has it been like to be either pursuing the healthcare profession or in the healthcare profession during this time and expletives are fine. And go crystal. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I honestly don't know even where to start. Like in the beginning, it was, it was scary and it was crying every day. And there were a lot of cursing. There was a lot of cursing and there was a lot of, um, yeah, what the hell am I doing? And why the hell are we doing? Like, nobody knows what's going on. Like doctors didn't even know what orders to put in and people were just dying. Like it was, it was a lot. And I think add like the political turmoil and the like all the polarization of mask wearing (laughs) and just everything and like being in the midst of all that was it was a lot and I um for the first time had to start on antidepressants in my life and um my therapist is working overtime (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been it's been a busy, crazy year. I feel like there is some light at the end of the tunnel, although I will say like the numbers at my hospital are slowly creeping back up. Um, my last shift that I worked, we lost three COVID patients like back to back. Um, so it's still not over. Right. But I feel like there are strategies in place, like the vaccination is definitely helping the average age of the person that's dying from COVID is 15 years younger since the older people were vaccinated first. So that's like a good sign that the vaccination is in fact working. Um, obviously it's not great that younger people are getting it now, but um, I think as the vaccination continues to get out there, that will help a lot. Um, but yeah, sorry, that was my little PSA. Um. <laughs> Go get that. Well, don't worry. I think like Josie and I say at least once an episode for the last month and a half. Go get your vaccinations, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't really have words to describe what it's been like. It's been. It was kind of like living a nightmare for a while, and then um, add that to like I had um, my cousin and my uncle die from COVID. My cousin, who was like a perfectly healthy. 45 year old man. Um, and then my uncle both die of COVID. And it's interesting because like, as a Brown person, like my family is more affected than like, that's just how it is. Right. That like, Mm -hmm. like Latino and African-American people are far more affected by COVID than, um, white folks. And so like, I don't have other coworkers generally that lost family to COVID. Mm. And in the midst of it, I lost two while like, I don't, I don't know. It was just a very strange situation. And I, again, my therapist was working overtime. Cause I was just like, she's like, your whole life is like blowing up right now. <laughs> like, I, know, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know. So it's been, it's been a lot. Um, I still love nursing. Like I've seen, the best and the worst of it. And I still love it. And um, yeah, I wish I would have discovered it at a much younger age. <laughs> well, we're going to get into that for sure in a minute. Cause I think this idea that um, you have to know what you're doing and, and why at a young age um, is I think 
for me anyway, it held me in a, in a place of thinking I need to stay within the thing that I already started and go, go, go in that. And um, it has been really inspiring that even in the midst of what you say, your whole life is falling apart. It feels like there's still been this sense of like, no, this is the thing. And when I'm sitting in that, um, what that feels like. And then uh, John, you, <laughs> you started, talk a little bit about how you got into this healthcare profession in just the last couple of years. Um, wow. How did I start? Um, I guess to start that, you got to go all the way back to college. Yeah. Uh, the first time. <laughs> so when I was in college the first time, I initially wanted everything to do with law because that's all my high school was geared towards law. I thought it was great. I wanted to be an FBI agent. And I saw the movie Donnie Brasco and said, I, I never just... want to work for a company that would do that to their people. There's that. And then like, how the hell are you going to be undercover? Oh, I'm sneaky. <laughs> I, I feel that. like a lot of FBI agents are giant. That yeah. giant? Yeah. Okay. You look at those Secret Service people and they're just like, mm -hmm. they're FBI That's agents. Fair. Sorry, John. I didn't mean to be a heightist. You were a heightist and that was not making a good space for me. Okay. So thank oh. you. Keep going. Ouch. It's fair. It's fair. Everything's fair. I feel targeted, triggered, and hurt. mostly hurt. Okay. So in college, you were studying law. Uh, and then I can't remember what it was, but then decided I wanted to be a doctor. That was what I wanted to do. Uh, and then that didn't work with sports. So I said, oh, we'll put that aside, go pursue basketball, come back. And I'm like 27 years old. And I think I'm too old to go back to school. That's right. Cause we met when you were 27. Yes. Yeah. Cause you're two years older than me. That's right. Um, yeah. So I thought I was too old to go back to school. So try a few different things, end up in the automotive industry, selling car wax, wash, body shop type products, and just stick with it for way too long. And then was not happy uh, for years, knew I needed to make a change, but I'm like, what do I do? Basically I'm qualified for sales now. So what, what do I wanna go sell? And I'm good at sales, but I'm not like the rah-rah sales guy that companies like. I'm not like motivated by numbers, I'm motivated by helping people. But I didn't realize that until I kept coming across these car accidents and things where People, Not because you were causing them. You were literally coming across them. <laughs> across them randomly. Wink. Um, <laughs> and I could never help. And it bothered me. <clears throat> and then I was I was like, well, maybe I need to be get my first responder or EMT. But taking a class was out of the question because I traveled for work all the time. And I called this really wise, brilliant smart woman very insightful mm. her name is crystal steckle right some of you have heard of her uh, <laughs> and she said you want to make a change why not go into nursing and i never thought of it and i don't know why i'd never thought of it probably the gender stereotypes i just don't think of a male nurse so i never thought of myself as a nurse and then I think I asked you to describe everything about the job that you loved and hated, and it checked off every box that I wanted in a career. 
And it's so then been I call, fascinating. What? You call people, like if I tell people what you're doing, uh, it's really fascinating how many people go, yeah. Yeah, I can yeah. see him doing it. Like there hasn't been the reaction I think you thought at first people would be like, what? And none of those assholes had the guts to tell me, except Crystal Steckel. Which is <laughs> uh, but yeah, so then I called every nurse I knew and asked them the same questions. And I didn't get one person that said, maybe you shouldn't do that. I was expecting a few. Um, so yeah, I quit my job, enrolled in school, and now I'm poor. Do you mind telling us what age you were when you did that? <laughs> Uh, I was 43. Wait, no. No, you're 42. 42. <laughs> I'm, 42. I'm 43 now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I was 47. Okay. <laughs> you're not 47 yet. You're making it more dramatic than it was. 137 years old. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are biblical nerds, John um, often gets told he's a Nephilim, so he could be 137. Who knows? I am and I am. Highlander was loosely based on my life. Crystal, do oh you mind God. sharing how you got into this field? How you made, like decided that this was the space that you were going to, because you also had like several careers. When I met you, you were in one career and I would argue careers that a lot of people thought, oh, that's a good, you're doing good work. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I also uh, was a pre-med student in my first degree. Same. Um, Is that why we're friends? All of us. <laughs> all of us, yeah. And um, decided that that uh, was too long to be in school. <laughs> I'm a bit of, I have attention issues. <laughs> I am a bit of a, uh, yeah, I'm all over the place. And so being in school that long just felt like uh, too much. And so um, I got my dual bachelor's in biology and chemistry, and then just started doing um, volunteer stuff at, right at first and uh, hustling. <laughs> um, so I did um, mission year right out of uh, college, which is like a inner city volunteer program. Um, and I actually worked at a health clinic for my volunteer site. Um, I was an interpreter because we, the clinic mostly served Latino women who were pregnant um, and none of the OBGYN spoke Spanish. And so I was their interpreter and kind of medical assistant um, just as a volunteer, which is crazy. So I did that for a year um, and I actually really loved like the medical setting, even though it was a clinic. Um, I just love like the connection with the people um, and love the idea of giving access to people who didn't have access to healthcare, like that was very exciting for me. Um, but at the time I was just like, I don't know how this will fit into my life. You know, like at some point it'll fit into my life. I don't know how now. Um, That's important, so, I think, as people think about like figuring out what space they belong in is like all of it played into it later, you know? Right, right. Um, so right out of mission year I just kind of did a bunch of like community development type stuff and eventually got into working with um, immigrants and refugees like I worked for an organization that did refugee resettlement um, as well as um, immigration stuff and I did that for a while um, I also did dabbled in education for a little while but um, yeah I came back to like refugee and immigrant stuff 
And while doing that, I realized that healthcare was almost null and void for refugees and immigrants because they just didn't understand access in the US. And um, like they would just go to the ER for any little like thing that you would just go to your like primary practitioner for or whatever. So um, I started thinking about nursing at that point, I had a couple of friends that were nurses and they were like, yeah, that's like the perfect career for you. Like you can help people. You can like use your scientific mind. You can, you know, like whatever. Um, and I had also just gone through a divorce. I don't know if we can say going through, I just got <laughs> abandoned by my husband. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, I was going to say going um, through a divorce <laughs> implicates that any of us knew it was happening. Yeah. He went, I would say he had some, uh, he had some difficulties that none of us really knew about you in particular, didn't know about, I guess. Yeah. And you showed up to him leaving. Yes. Um, so I was trying to scramble, like, so the other thing is, is like the immigrant and refugee stuff, like there was always um, money issues, right? We're always like petitioning for money and whatever. And the day after my husband left me, I found out that my job was getting cut in half. Um, and so like I was going half time now trying to survive on my own. Like, so I think I just was in like a scrambling sort of position and, um, discovered like the option of nursing school, that there was a bachelor's program that I could do in 15 months to get my, um, my, uh, bachelor's of nursing. And I had to apply like the very next day or something like it was crazy. Um, and so I did, I just like jumped right in, just all in applied, um, had to start taking my prereqs like right away the next week. Um, and actually did not even get into the courses because they were already full. Uh, one of my friends who was a nurse, he was like, just show up to class. They'll let you in eventually. <laughs> so uh, I just started showing up and showing up and showing up. And finally, like four weeks in or whatever, the professor was like, okay, I put you on it. I put you on our, our, our um, like agenda or whatever. I don't know what it's called, but yeah. This is so not part of the, the story that I knew. I, yeah. I love this. Oh yeah. So I got into the class just by being annoying, basically. <laughs> Persistence, guys. <laughs> I just want you, I wish Josie's face was so good. She's like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I just kept showing up, got into the class and actually applied for nursing school, didn't get in right away. But again, was just like, you know what? I'm getting in because this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, I made it through the interview and it was like a day long interview. It was like this whole thing. Um, and then uh, the immigrant and refugee place I was working at was doing like a little clinic for farm workers. So we were doing like, we had student volunteers from OHSU, the nursing school I had applied to come and like do um, like blood sugar and cholesterol and all that for um, farm workers. And um, one of the professors that came with the students was one of the people that interviewed me. And so I went over and I was like, hi, introduce myself. And she was like, oh, so you'll be starting our program this fall, right? And I was like, well, no, I didn't get in. I got waitlisted. And she was like, oh, you did? Well, <laughs> we'll see about that. I have goosebumps. Um, I didn't know this part of the story. 
Yeah. And then the next day I got called and said I was accepted into the program. So yeah. Yeah. It all worked out the way it was supposed to. (laughs) People for me. Yeah. Seriously. John's trying to get in right now. Can you, you had it this weekend. It's happening. How old was I? How old was I? Um, I was, don't ask John. I was 35. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So we have this like perception, I think in culture that like 22 or 25, like between 22 and 25, you're supposed to figure out what your destiny is. And, um, and as two of my very best friends, you know that all of us have been on this like roller coaster <laughs> of who am I supposed to be? What's my meaning? And like I said, it has been, it was Josie and I were thinking about who do we want to invite on for space makers. It just clicked with me that like both of you are people who post 35 have created a, a life that is um, in some ways super altruistic, but also is deeply rooted in your own um, feeling like this is a connection that I have to my deep self, to who I really am. Like the, the interesting thing is the number of people who have said to both of you, like, oh, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and they just knew they know. Right. And I think for a lot of us, we think, again, we have to know what that is very early on in life. Now, Josie, you just applied and got into school to get your master's in art, uh, modern art, right? Yes, modern art history. Right. Congratulations. And- That's awesome. Thank you. Hence the t shirt. <laughs> That's how she's planning to teach other people later. <laughs> so, this is. <laughs> You'll notice my belly button yeah. <laughs> represents. Um, did you have fear just stepping into that, uh, that it was later? I mean, because you're younger, but you're not, you know, 21. Did you have that fear as well that, like, oh, this is. Or have you always known you're going to do something make um, a move later? No, I weirdly enough don't have fear of change. I've had a lot of change in my life and I have no fear of starting over. That's kind of, I mean, in art, you kind of are always starting over, whether it be a new style or a new venture or something new. But even outside of that, I went into school thinking I was going to be a business person, business, business major. Business person. I'm going to be a business person. <laughs> um, because I've always, I'm really like, as much as I am an artist, I'm also very analytical and very strategically minded. Um, numbers and all that stuff come very naturally to me. Um, I've always been very good at school. I just don't like certain things like science I was very good at but I didn't want to do it so I didn't and so I had to retake chemistry in high school (laughs) um it's very much my mentality so starting over has never been kind of weird I've always known I was going to go to grad school I assume I'm going to go again after this one and then again probably after that because I'm always in the pursuit of knowledge and new things so yeah I mean it's very inspiring to hear all of your stories and to know um, that the trajectory can change. Yeah. I have to say, to I, as I think about the three of you, people who are in my life, see, this is when you like selfishly just interview people that you, um, want to talk to but there <laughs> is this, uh, lack of fear of change. Now, Crystal, you were pushed into it a little bit more. Than <laughs> it's not like you were like, huh, I'm gonna 
change everything. You literally, your life in a week, I'll never forget that week, but that week, everything just <laughs> went to shit. Um, yeah. and you up. Time. Yeah. But the thing that I have noticed with you out of that is that, um, you don't fear it as much anymore. Um, and you've had some pretty dramatic in the last couple of year shifts and changes. Do you think having had that experience of everything falling apart and not knowing the outcome yet you just kept showing up and then it worked out. Do you think that has like formed that lack of fear of change or do you think you were always just not change averse? I think, um, I think I've not really had much issue with change in my life. Cause as, as a kid too, there was a lot of like change all the time. And I think I just got used to it. Um, and I almost like crave change sometimes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, even before, <laughs> even before my divorce and everything, you know, I like lived in however many different states. Like I just moved around and a lot. Countries. <laughs> yeah. And countries. I was just all over the place. Right. Like that's just always been kind of how I am. And I think that crave for change, it feels like change. You always learn and you grow and like, yeah, like you learn about a new part of the country and you learn about new people and you learn about, and I, so I think like part of that is driven by like learning. Um, I think I'm just a different kind of learner. Like I'm a kinesthetic learner. And so I need to like be doing something to learn. And so I think that's part of it. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I think I just grew up where there was like always change. And so I just, it just is part of life, you know, like for me, it's just whatever. I don't know. What about you, John? Because you, you've lived a couple lifetimes in the forty-three years you've been alive. Um, I mean, and some pretty like you've lived some lives that people would dream of, right? Being a professional athlete, uh, you know, getting to go to the, all the fancy car shows. I didn't know this was such a thing until I told some of my guy friends. Oh, my best guy friend John can't come. He's at SEMA, and they're like, "He's where?" And apparently, like you know, so you've been at the top of that field. Do you think you've always been not afraid of change? Cause you come from a family that has had, you know, is pretty like down. To- my dad does not change. No, <laughs> he, he is very averse to change. He is very much. You can't make me change. Try. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's my dad. My mom's not been afraid of change. She's, she's adapted to wherever, you know, my dad's a pastor. So wherever that we went, she adapted and figured out how she worked there or whatever. So she's adapted. Um, but I, I, I don't think I've ever been afraid of change. Mm-mm. I'm not, I'm always, okay, yeah. Like people are like, how did you end up in Utah? It's, well, there seemed to be a good school. I knew some friends that lived in this town and I'd never lived in Utah. So why not? Yeah, I, I love um, I love that openness to, um, to life that I think all three of you have. I am a risk, uh, I'm a change averse human. Um, although I have done the changes because I feel like I've been invited into them. Um, but I, it wasn't John, you're the one who one time I was panicking and you're like, Sarah, you hate change. And I was like, no, I don't. You're like, no, no, you do. You allow change to happen, but you hate it. And I think for me, I, I have such an emotional, I think you, you really are. You really are. Um, But I want to know the thing that I think is so helpful for folks as they 
process, maybe they won't make a radical change to go into medical care or to go back to school in a, in a field that, you know, whatever, what keeps you guys rooted as you're making this space for yourself? So I'm thinking about Crystal, as you know, you're moving to another country for a little while. John, as you're moving to Utah, uh, Josie, as you're starting a new program that, you know, you don't know all the people yet. You don't know how, what keeps, what do you guys feel like are your grounding or like the things that like, say, this is the way that I hold space for myself in these changes. Like, how do you stay rooted in it? Is that, does that question make sense? Yeah, oh, totally. Cool. Well, then you answer it, fine. <laughs> Um, I think for me, it's my people. Like I, even though I've moved and lived a lot of places, I, there are people that have been staples in my life, like you and John and Gabby. And, um, I have a friend in Atlanta and, you know, like there's, I have like my core group of people that know me. They've known me through all my changes, through my ups and my downs and, um, I know I can call any one of them when I'm struggling or need to process or whatever. I can jump on a plane and go see them, you know, like, um, so yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing, um, that, and then like, um, yeah, like outdoor spaces for me, like I just need to get outside sometimes and that helps recenter me and ground me. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Cause it's all of a sudden like, you're like, oh, wait a minute, the world is huge and changing. Right. And that's, I think been a little bit hard for us over the last year for people is like, um, our normal practices of being able to move around and change, you know, you've been in the same room and I'm like, do I not like what I'm doing or just not like my living room? I love my living room, but you know, that's <laughs> like, so my friend said that the other day, like, I thought I wanted to quit my job. It turns out I just don't want to be in my living room anymore. It's <laughs> like, that's fair. What about you, uh, John or Josie? What about you guys? Are there like, how do you stay grounded in the midst of, of change? That's not my name, number one. You can call me by my proper name. Oh, Tall Pockets? No, what was it? Hot High Pockets. High Pockets. <laughs> and rolling your eyes at me does not, that's not nice. My mm -hmm. um, people, for sure, that's 100%. People stay, you know, staying in contact with people, your friends, traveling for work with my last job. Let me keep those, those relationships strong. Um, Cause I got to see people all over the country all the time. So that helped. Um, yeah. Your people always keep you grounded. And then for me, it was just, I just tried to keep the mindset of if this just all goes to shit, <laughs> um you can go back to where you were mm. like i can always go back to the automotive world and even if my company didn't accept me back uh which they probably would there's a million other companies that i could go work for that i have relationships with i was like i could go back to that was i satisfied and fulfilled no but i'd make money until i figure out what to do next you know i know that I have endless amounts of people that would let me crash in a spare room or on a couch until I got my feet back un under me. So that's, that's the other thing is there's always, there's a, a giant safety net of your people underneath you. And 
go try it. If it doesn't work, fine. Yeah, it didn't work. Go try something else. So, and I didn't, that was a big fear for me. That was probably my biggest fear was I didn't know if my brain would function enough to learn. We should, yeah. Part of the story of John, um, again, these are two of the most, well, three of the most inspiring people um, I know, but John uh, has had massive, uh, what do we want to call it? Brain trauma from having a lot of concussions um, from yep. being a pro athlete. And then he, he, as much as we joked about car accidents earlier, he has been in several car accidents. Couple Not his fault either. Trampoline. Trampoline. He's hit his head on fans. Six foot nine and a half. You get hit in the head a lot. Um, but we, as a friend group, went through um, John's personality changing. Uh, I'm not thinking, nurses, help me. What is the term for uh, concussion? What's the, what do you have? Well, TBS? I would have persistent, I had persistent post-concussive syndrome was the diagnosis. So right. there's post-concussive syndrome and then it, if it lasts for a long time, it becomes persistent post-concussive syndrome, but it's a TBI, yes. And so John, who, um, as much as we joke around, is a very intelligent human, lost the ability sometimes to even be able to look at a computer for very long because it would put you into massive headache or even personality change. Um, and then you had to take a lot of steps to re kind of reclaim your health and your own mental stability from doing odd things like a hyperbaric chamber to um, learning how to just be in the world a little bit different and set boundaries in a way around being in front of a computer or even travel, realizing the altitude and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it wasn't just the easy, like, I'm going to change my life. It was the question of, am I, can my brain do it? Yeah. Yeah. Cause my memory was an issue. That was a big issue. I, I had no short-term memory. So keeping information in my head was not, not easy, but it worked. And your brain killed it. Yay, you're doing Thank it. Thank you, Groom family, Sarah and Craig Groom, generously let me use their hyperbaric chamber. And I will say this, they saved my life. Yeah, we are so grateful. What about you, Josie, when everything is in the midst of change, even I'm laughing because the noise people hear in the background is literally Josie's place being worked on. <laughs> so she's got all these, um, not where she is right now, but where she's moving. And the, there's like the boxes in the background. So clearly there's a lot of change. How do you stay grounded when everything seems to be changing? Yeah. Um, this is kind of different than everybody else, but I stay grounded in myself. <laughs> um, I had a recovered memory just during this conversation, but I went to lots of therapy as a kid. And I remember talking to the therapist of why I was so scared of change as a child. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, I was um, had a massive fear of being deported with my family. And that's like this huge change that was threatening and all looming. And then as soon as I feel like my dad and I were able to get the papers for all of us to stay or whatever, after that, I felt like invincible and my home life was terrible and everything was bad, but I was like, well, at least I got myself or <laughs> whatever. I've always like been willing to succeed. I've always been willing to do this or do that or everything will all work out. And I mean, I have a partner now and as much as I love him and know that he's probably going to stick around forever I know that if he decides to leave or if god forbid he were to pass away 
I'd be all right because I would have myself and my resilience and my persistence and um, kind of like how you all said, if the whole world falls apart, if my whole life is gone and everything, I have no money or whatever, I know that I have people that I can depend on and that I probably always will, even if those pockets and groups of people change. Um, and I also have this overwhelming fear of death. So I always think, well, if as long as I'm not dead, I guess things will be all right. <laughs> Don't worry, as you get older, it really changes. You're like, eh. <laughs> death is, it's looming. <laughs> Just kidding. I we, The three of us have gone through the weirdest thing, Josie, this year where we're starting to see our gray hair a lot. <laughs> oh, me too. Us. I've had gray hair since I was 15. I don't know if you could uh, see it all in there. You know, you guys all have flourishing hair, but it's it's an interesting thing to realize that we're aging and what does that mean and what does that look like? And and I think this um, inspiring ability to look change in the face and say, okay, um, part of that I think is being able to say, what if the worst happens? Like all three of you said, what if the worst happens? And then not stopping there. I think for those of us who are change averse, we stop with that question instead of going, okay, what if the worst happens? Well, these people are still in my life. It's kind of like the, that grounding practice of this thing and this thing. My friend the other day said that his fear is like the nerdy version of himself with a clipboard running behind him going, excuse me, excuse me. And if you just ignore that thing, it just gets worse and starts yelling more like, excuse me. But if you turn around and say yes, and then your nerdy self with the clipboard goes, if you do this, all of these things could happen. And if you just look at him and go, I know. Then he goes, okay, great. <laughs> he just needs you to know. And he said, sometimes Sarah, you just have to turn around and look your nerdy self in the face and say, I know. And that's, I think the, the idea even of like grounding and rooting ourselves and our friends. Cause they say, yeah, even if all of that happens, um, because I do, I panic, right? This morning I woke up with the, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I literally own an Airstream that only has an air conditioner that works. And there's no electricity, so it's just a air conditioner um, and it's, you know, whatever, but it is the space that I can imagine. And um, I'm grateful for the way all of you guys are willing to be bold and brave and help maybe inspire other people because I got to tell you, it's so, John had a, his first CNA shift, what, four days ago, five days ago? Yeah. And your joy you're like, I did the worst stuff and it was awesome. <laughs> like he was so excited. He so much shit. So yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> All of them. It was like everybody's laxatives just worked. <laughs> right as I came on, and it was just oh. By the way, growing up in a medical family and then having all my friends be in the medical field, the number of times, the last time I was visiting Crystal, I um, stayed a little bit later so that all of my friends coming off shift, we could have breakfast. So here I am eating this like breakfast and I've got some feelings inside because I'm leaving some of my best friends. They all sit down and they're like, there was so much shit last night. <laughs> and like, it was like, and I'm just eating and I'm like, this is not usual, but this is usual for us and for me. <laughs> I was giving a few more shots yesterday and the nurse giving me my shots, we were talking about it. And she's like, yeah, she's like, I worked a shift not that long ago. And she's like, there was just shit. There was so much. And she's like, I just kept smelling it. I couldn't get the <laughs> smell out. And I'm like, yes, it was like at four o'clock the next afternoon. That's all I could smell. And she's like, but then I looked down and realized I had shit all down my leg. <laughs> 
guys, if you're going to make space for a job shift, like you too can live in this glamour, Ooh. you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I want to finish by kind of posing the question, uh, what is you think about like space making for, for the new space making for, um, yourself space making for dreams and passions what is like one tangible thing people can do like whether it's daily or just like a small shift that would help make space for themselves or others as they think about you know making a change later or now that was a big question it's a really big question crystal <laughs> um i think one thing that i've practiced for a while now that I find is super helpful and it only takes five to ten minutes a day is um, I have a journal that is like a gratitude journal um, or just like a what the fuck happened journal <laughs> um, like some I mean I always write something I'm grateful for no matter what even if I have a what the fuck happened moment but I also like process kind of through that again it's like yes I have my friends that I process with but I also process with myself and one of the ways that I do that is through writing and so I think um that is one thing that I try to make space for almost daily not always obviously but like most days I make space for it because I feel like it's important for me to like get it out <laughs> mm -hmm. um and then be able to reflect on it later. So I love that. John, what about you? What's a suggestion you would have, even if it's just like a mindset or? I sit in the bottom of my shower and have a good cry. You're so full of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, honestly, I don't have, I don't have anything that's like structured like that. Like I just fake it. And that's probably not good to say. <laughs> um, yeah, just trying to think about what I do. Uh, I mean, I break, I'm constantly overthinking, but I break stuff down. Like I'm always breaking down like what would be in a journal in my own head, having a conversation with myself. I have very elaborate conversations with myself. But I think the biggest thing, I, I just give myself just the mentality and the mental space to just say if it's a bad day or if it's a bad test or if it's a bad class or whatever it is it's okay like I the, I the biggest thing for me is the mindset of that I'm on a bonus life yeah so with my head injuries and obviously don't go get head injuries so you can have this disclaimer uh, but I was suicidal. Um, and now I'm like, I was fortunate to be snapped out of it every time. And I'm like, now I'm like, I have this extra life. This is all extra now to me, you know, getting the hyperbaric and my brain being healed. Like that, this, this has created an extra life for me. So however, like you can have that mindset that you're all you know you could die at any moment it's bonus you're pretty much we're all in bonus time so I love that. don't hold yourself back 
when you have that bonus time, it's that time to say, I get to do whatever I want to do. I get to try the things I always wanted to try. And I don't have to apologize for it because it's my bonus time. So it literally is my bonus time. But for I think you can have that mentality in your life and just say, hey, now's the time. It's you, Everyone has their bucket list. Well, fuck it. Do your bucket list. Bucket, and, bucket. Yeah. Bucket. <laughs> just... <laughs> Go do it and give yourself that permission. A lot of people, you find a million way reasons not to do something. You've got responsibilities. You have this, you have this. That's all bullshit. That's all just constructed stuff. Maybe some of it's not, you know, you got to, maybe you have a family and you got to feed kids or whatever, but there's ways to do it. Make it happen. I don't know. And then I love that. Yeah. I need to be better about doing like actual things like journaling today crystal steckle following in your footsteps oh my gosh um guys it has been so fun to have you um this is like what <laughs> people want to know what like my nightly practice is it's talking to these two or my other friend uh and i feel like there's this um sense where if you are like me and you are risk averse and change averse. Um, the only way you're ever going to live a life that makes space for all of that is to have people in your life who are like, what do you, nah, who kind of give you a different um, mindset around it. So I'm grateful to both of you, especially as I'm about to go through some major changes in seven weeks, friends, seven weeks. Um, it is Ooh. great to have people like you to walk alongside me and constantly remind me that now is the time. Um, Josie, well, first of all, are either of you got anything you want to promote, ways that people can follow you, things that you want people to follow? You know, you're both nursing humans, so I don't think you're going to really want people to follow the hospitals that you're involved in. <laughs> the hospital would appreciate me not saying it. They don't want to be tied to me. <laughs> the only promotion I have is wear your mask, get a vaccination. <laughs> yes, yes. That's what and I got. If you want to find Crystal on social media for some pretty great hot takes and also John as well. Um, and John is just a, if you and John become social media uh, friends, he's just, a, he's a generous liker. Just oh, yeah. liker. He loves to like things. There's some things I don't though. There's some things I'll look at it and be like, nah, I don't want to like that. <laughs> <laughs> but if I really like it, I'm going to love it. So mm. for those that, of you who that's, are- That's the real like. For those of you who are Enneagram uh, people, John is an Enneagram 7 and no one is surprised. Um, Josie, where can folks find us and the work that we're doing right now? Yeah, you can find us on makingspacespodcast.com for all of the things or makingspacespodcast on Instagram. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, whatever people say. Yeah. And you can find... We... Oh, I'm going to say you can find me at Josie Takes the World and you can find Sarah at Rev Sarah Heath on That's Instagram. Right. That's true. Instagram, all the things. Um, And we will see you next week where we will be. Saving a space for you. Bye. Bye. I'm going to hit record. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.